Let's start off with a word of prayer, if you join me. Father God, as we open up your word today, our hope and our prayer is that it's not my words, not anyone else's words, but that you're speaking. God, your word says your your word doesn't return void. And so today what we ask is that you would just work in our hearts. God, we want to look more like you today. So Holy Spirit, would you work in us, convicting us, encouraging us, shaping us, molding us to look more and more like Jesus. God, we pray as we leave this place today that we wouldn't leave it looking the same as when we came in, but that we'd look a little bit more like you today. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Well, church, we have been in a series that I have really, really loved. I don't know about you, but I've really loved it. So if nothing else, I've had a good time. We've been in a series called The Holy Spirit. Because one of the things that I have found in my life is that oftentimes, as we talk about things in our world, we talk about the church, we talk about the Bible, oftentimes it seems like the Holy Spirit is the one thing we kind of leave out. I've joked before that sometimes in the churches I grew up in, a lot of times that we had the Holy Trinity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. Sometimes we leave out the Holy Spirit, even though Jesus, when he's about to leave this earth and speaking to his disciples in John 13 through 17, he over and over and over again goes back to this idea that something better is coming, this Holy Spirit. Over and over again, he even tells him, listen, it's better that I go away. Can you imagine Jesus looking at you and going, listen, it's a good thing that I'm leaving you. No, it's not. It's a good thing I'm leaving you because if I don't leave, then you don't get the Holy Spirit. That's an amazing and insane thing that I think we often glance over in Scripture. That Jesus said, it's better I go away because you're going to have the power of the Holy Spirit if I do go away. And so... The, the reason we've been in the series is really to look at who is the Holy Spirit. Looking at how do we walk by the Holy Spirit? How do we listen to the Holy Spirit? And I've absolutely loved it so far. It's been absolutely incredible and amazing. Of course, last week, absolutely loved getting to have baptisms going on. Oh, that was so amazing to see God working in so many lives. And I'm just so excited for what God's going to do. It was just such a cool time. Today, I want to talk about this idea of walking by the Spirit. If you want to join me in your Bibles, I'd love for you to open those up or click over to Galatians chapter 5. And as we do that, I want to share a quote that has kind of been driving this series for me. It said, My life in Christ is the sum and the substance of my ability to, in every season and circumstance, live close to Him. The substance of my life in Christ is my ability to draw closer and closer to Jesus. And today I want to talk about how do we, as people, walk by the Spirit and draw closer and closer to God and walk in all the things that He's promised us, His love, His joy, His peace, and especially His freedom. And today I want to talk a little bit about freedom. Tomorrow is, a, is an interesting holiday called Juneteenth that celebrates the ending of slavery in America, which I, I find Juneteenth to be uh, slightly humorous, maybe not really in a humorous way, but kind of turn your head, because what's interesting is it celebrates the day that every state in America officially recognized slavery, because Texas got the memo about the Emancipation Proclamation two years late. So 
all of a sudden then it's two years down the road when, when finally we celebrate that all the states have officially freed the slaves. And then there was another holiday that we, we also celebrated this past week. Maybe, maybe many of you didn't know about it, but it was called Flag Day, celebrating our nation's flag. And whenever I look at our flag, I'm reminded of the fact that there are people that have laid down their lives to preserve freedom in our country. Whether it's a freedom that we celebrate tomorrow, there were people that laid down their lives so that we could have the emancipation of slaves in America. There's people that laid down their lives for the freedom that we enjoy today, whether it's gathering in church or getting up and, and, and worshiping freely or going where we choose or choosing even to, to participate in elections. There's so many people that have given up their lives in order that we can have freedom in this country. The thing is, there's a quote that we often say. I've heard it since I was growing up. We, we really like to say it, but I don't know if we always think about it. It's that freedom isn't what? Free. Freedom isn't free. There, there's a quote by Thomas Paine, who was kind of one of the intellectual uh, forefathers of the American Revolution. And he wrote this statement. He said, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must undergo the fatigue of supporting it. See, the fact is that freedom always has a price. There's always something that has to be paid in order to maintain and gain freedom. The fact is, in our life, we're always subject to something, some type of cost. I don't know how many of you ever took an economics class, but there's kind of this idea in economics called an opportunity cost. And it's the idea that anything you do, any opportunity you take over here, is going to have a cost over here of something that you're giving up. I mean, to put it really simply, like, imagine you decide to go to the movies, and then that time and money you spend over there is time and money that you will necessarily not be able to go to a ball game, for instance. There's always a cost to something in your life. If you decide to go to a, you decide to buy a new fishing pole, right, and you then don't have money to buy groceries, that's an opportunity cost. Some would say worth it, some would say not. Maybe you choose to invest in relationships with your kids and your family, which means giving up the time to go use that new fishing pole, which is totally worth it. It's awkward because you don't have food in the house because you bought a fishing pole. But anyways, still, maybe you choose to have a life that's free of the worry of health concerns. And so there's things that ultimately there's a cost to that of giving up certain things or, or choosing to give up your time in a certain way. In fact, is any freedom that we have in our life, anything that we have in our life, anything we choose to have, is going to have a cost associated with it. Whether it's the freedom in our country, the freedom in our own lives, there's something, a cost that's going to come along with it. And the fact is the same is true with our spiritual walk. And so today I want to talk about freedom. I want to open up to Galatians chapter 5 with you if you join me there. And what's going on in this passage is that there's kind of a problem. I don't know if y'all noticed that, if you study church history. It's like Jesus was here, and he said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. And like the moment that he left, man, we started having trouble with each other. It's like the moment he was gone, man, all right, we're going to fight over something. And so suddenly, Paul is dealing with something in the church of Galatia that he was dealing with all over the known world. It was this problem that... When people look at this idea of being saved by the grace of Jesus, there's unfortunately two different camps that people can often go into, two ditches, if you will. There's one camp that we'll call legalism. 
It's the people that say, listen, if Jesus died for us, that's great. He died for my sins. But listen, we got to follow all these rules now. And so there was these people coming along going, listen, if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to be circumcised. You need to follow the law. You need to follow the Jewish law. You need to do all these things. And Paul is going to them and saying, no, 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 no. Listen, you are under grace. You're not under the law. You're under Jesus. If you're trying to put yourself under the law and earn your salvation by following all these rules, you're completely throwing away everything that Jesus did for you. But then the problem is there's another group of people. Just so we keep the L's today, we'll call them the license group. The, the, the people that believe it. Listen, I, I'm under grace. I can do whatever I want. There, there were people saying things like, listen, let, let's sin more so that more grace abounds. Like, listen, if, 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 if this is such a great thing, Jesus died for our sins. Grace is an amazing and incredible miracle from God. So if I sin more, then there's more of God's grace. Technically, that makes sense if you don't think about it. I mean, it's kind of an interesting kind. And there were people that were really saying things like this. That's why Paul had to address this. And so now Paul is talking to both sets of people in Galatians. And one set, he gets done kind of scolding them, saying some very not nice things. Some of the, I would say the worst insult in the Bible is actually in there if you want to go look it up, if you find it. But there's a moment then when he, he starts to change a little bit and starts talking to the licensed group. See, what Paul is talking about here is the fact that these people really felt that they were free, but they don't understand that their ditches they were getting into were putting them into slavery. fact is, legalism equals slavery to other human beings, to other people's, what other people think about you, their rules, whereas the license camp are becoming slaves to whatever they want to do, slaves to their flesh, slaves to their cravings. And what Paul is saying here is, listen, you're not really free. Let me tell you about true freedom. So in Galatians 5, verse 13, if you want to join me there in your Bibles, he says this, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Now, what's the flesh? The flesh is my desires as a person. It's the fact that I don't have to be taught how to sin. You ever notice that with children? You don't have to teach them how to be bad, right? Maybe your kids. Okay, my kids, you don't have to teach how to be bad. They're pretty good at it. It's our natural sinful self. And so he says, lost my place. (laughs) Rather serve one another humbly in love. Thank you. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, your sinful self. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you're not able to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, Jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But as the fruit fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. There's a couple of things I want to pull out of this passage, but the first one is this. I don't know if you've noticed this, but what God calls freedom all throughout the Bible is oftentimes what the world calls slavery. What God calls freedom all throughout the Bible is oftentimes what God call or what the world likes to call slavery. See, I don't know if you ever talk to somebody who, who talks to you and they, they, they say, man, I don't really want to go to church or I'm not into that God thing. It's all just a bunch of rules. And, and there's some people who, who I think have maybe been introduced to religion instead of relationship with Jesus. That's an issue. But there's also some people that believe that freedom is getting to do whatever I want. But in Galatians chapter 5, or, uh, verse 13, he says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, the thing is, freedom plus love is going to equal service to others. He says, go love your neighbor as yourself. If you have freedom and you have a love for Jesus and a love for people, all of a sudden you're going to be serving and loving others. But if you have freedom in your life minus love, then you're going to end up in a place where you have a license to sin or ultimately you're going to have a slavery to sin. The fact is, if you don't have any love in you, if you're able to do whatever you want and there's not love in your heart, how many see maybe that you're going to make some bad decisions? You're going to do some things that are end up trampling on other people because you don't have the love of Jesus. That's why he says, in your freedom, have love. Love your neighbor as yourself. What Paul is saying here is, listen, don't use the grace of God to gratify these inner cravings that you have. See, the world around us tells us that freedom is doing whatever I want. You know, if it feels good, I do it. The problem is you're not really free. See, if my, if my definition of freedom is, listen, I'm going to do whatever I want when I want to, what ends up happening is that my desires, my cravings, my lusts, my passions are what's leading my life. See, what Paul is talking about here is that the, the Spirit gives us freedom from our flesh, our freedom from being controlled by our flesh or inner desires. Because I don't know if you've noticed this, but we are all controlled by something. Have you ever noticed that? I, I'll give you a great example. Advertising. Have you ever sat and thought about how much you are molded and shaped by advertising? Like, have you ever, I, I started to watch this in my life. You see ads, and you're like, oh, it's just an ad. And then all of a sudden, you have a choice to make it a product. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, I'll have a Coke. And you start thinking, about why? Why do I want a Coke? Well, because I saw 15,000 Coca-Cola ads this week. It's amazing if you really think about it. And a lot of us don't even realize actually why I got a marketing degree for my bachelor's. Because I was just so amazed by, by how ads could just work on people and how these ads that you don't think are really working are slowly shaping you 
and molding you. In the same way in our life, there's so many things that are shaping us and molding our decisions and our everything that we do that sometimes we don't realize what's actually controlling us. The problem in our life is that we always have a choice. Real freedom requires choice, but real freedom will always require constraint. I don't know if you ever realized that, but if I want to have the freedom of a healthy and wonderful life, there are constraints that I will have to put on myself. If I want to be healthy in my finances, healthy in my body, healthy in my marriage, there will be constraints that I put on my life that are going to lead to this healthy, free place over here. The fact is, if I do whatever I want, I'm going to find myself constrained by some other things in my life, like health issues or debt or a poor relationship with my kids or my spouse. Fact is, real freedom will always require restraint of us. The great Tim Keller, who actually just passed away a couple weeks ago, put it like this. He said, freedom is not what the culture tells us. Real freedom comes from a strategic loss of some freedoms in order to gain others. It's not the absence of constraints, but it's choosing the right constraints and the right freedoms to lose. Freedom is not the absence of constraints, but it's choosing the right constraints. It's a strategic loss of some freedoms. I love that statement. It's a strategic loss. We have to choose in our life what things we want to be constrained by. Do we want to be constrained by our passions and our lusts or all these things over here? Or do we want to be constrained by God who's going to be our good shepherd who leads us and guides us to still waters? There's a quote from Stephen Covey, who has a great book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And in that, there's a statement that he makes that I've absolutely loved for years. He says, it's easy to say no to something when there's a stronger yes that's already burning inside of you. Like if you've already said yes to something and that's burning inside of you, then all of a sudden I can say no to some things over here. And that goes for any area of your life. But when it comes to my walk with Jesus, there are constraints in my life, or should I say things I say no to in my life, not because it's a list of rules that I got to follow, not because if I do these things just right, God will say, well done. But ultimately, because I've already said yes to a relationship with Jesus. And because of that, yes, then there's things over here I'm going to say no to. There are things in my life that I cannot do, not because I just can't do them, but because I've already said yes to something way, way more important. So if then what God calls freedom is called slavery by the world, constraint, then the second thing is this. What the world calls freedom is actually slavery. See, in verse 19, he says this, The acts of the flesh are obvious, he says. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm sure there's one or two things on there. That, that as you read through that list, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, I don't, I don't know if that one's really a big deal. But as you read through these dissensions, factions, envy, 
selfish ambition, fits of rage, jealousy. Does that sound like freedom to you? It doesn't sound like freedom to me. It sounds like a life that is completely enslaved by my desires, my whims. See, we have to realize that a life enslaved to the flesh will always end in our own destruction, but life in step with God's Spirit will lead to everlasting freedom. And Paul breaks down what this looks like. He, he breaks down in this list, kind of the, the, in kind of four sections, what it looks like to be led and enslaved to our flesh and our desires and what the world thinks. And he has kind of four sections. The first one is kind of basically immorality. The second one is kind of deals with idolatry. The, the third has to do with community, other people, our relationships. And the fourth has to deal with kind of intemperance or not tempering your desires. And so I'm going to go through these very quickly, but I just want to walk through what each of them kind of means in our own life. The first one is sexual immorality. What he's talking about here is anything that goes against what God's word says when it comes to sexual ethic not just the ones that we don't struggle with, but all of them that we see in the Bible. He's talking about sex before marriage. He's talking about homosexuality. He's talking about all these things. But more importantly, he's talking about the heart of it all. If you go into really what these words actually mean, he's talking about the gratifying of lust by objectifying a person, making an object out of a person who was made in the image of God. So whether that's Pornography, my own thoughts, my actions with other people, it's a moment where I'm creating an object out of someone, using them to fulfill the lust that I have in my life. The second thing he says is impurity. He's talking about this uncleanness that comes from sin. I don't know if you ever had that moment where you do something and the Holy Spirit convicts you and you just feel dirty. You ever had that? Man, if you haven't, maybe you should. You know, in Psalms 51, there's a moment where, where David's crying out to God. And he says, oh, wash me, Lord, and I'll be clean. He's, he has this feeling of just being dirty after doing the things that he did. Not a moment of guilt, because God never wants to stay in guilt. He gives us conviction. So anytime that we feel dirty because of the Holy Spirit, God wants to make us clean. That's what I love about him and his Holy Spirit. It's amazing. This, the other thing he talks about is sensuality, or another word for that is debauchery. Debauchery is a word that we've used in a lot of different ways, but my favorite definition of debauchery is the celebration of things that go against God. The celebration of sin, reveling in it. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation, sometimes when we think about that word, we might think about a parade. We might think about someone going out there and loudly proclaiming, yes, I'm doing these things that are against God and I'm proud of it, but also it's about what we celebrate in our own life. Like, what things do we celebrate? What jokes do we laugh at? What things do we watch on TV? What things are celebrated? If you look at our life, what things are high and lifted up? Is it the things that God says, or is it the things that the world says are okay? What, what are we celebrating in our life? Idolatry is one that we, we often look at and we think, well, I don't have any idols in my house. I don't know if any of you have been going through your closet and like, what's this idol of Baal doing in here? I thought we threw this out. But the fact is, an idol is anything in our life that's worshipped above God. In that time when God wrote the Ten Commandments, he's saying, listen, stay away from these idols because that is how these other gods were represented in the world. But the fact is, sometimes our gods have some other physical manifestations. 
Sometimes my God, if I'm not careful, is manifested in this little rectangle that sits in my pocket because it takes all my time, it takes all my energy, and I put more into that than my relationship with God if I'm not careful. So anything in our life can be an idol. Anything that we put above God, anything in my life, whether it's my kids, even my spouse could be an idol. The way I spend my life, whether it's sin or my phone or my TV, Anything in my life that I put above God is idolatry. And if I'm not walking by the Spirit, I may be walking in a place where I'm serving something that isn't God and I don't even know it. The next one is always a fun one. Witchcraft, or I, I like, I, I, I like um, some other translations of this, the word sorcery. I don't know if anybody struggled with sorcery this week. Um, none of you reached out to me and said, listen, I'm sorry, uh, Pastor Tim, I'm just really struggling with sorcery. I just like blacked out, woke up, wear my hat and my staff, and I turned my wife into a newt. Like, I, it, it, I don't think any of you necessarily struggle with that. I, I read that growing up, and I was like, man, I, I'm good on that one, because my mom wouldn't even let me, let me read Harry Potter. So, like, I'm doing great. Pharmakia. Good work. That's it. That's it. That's the word, the word pharmakia. Thank you, Phil. So pharmakia is the Greek word that's used here. And it's actually the word from where we get the word pharmacy. Because in this day, oftentimes what was happening was these witches, these witch doctors, these sorcerers were not only doing things of the occult and, and oftentimes worshiping demons, and that's talked pretty specifically about in the Bible about not doing that. But there's also a lot of moments where they were putting together drugs and other things to create these hallucinations and these moments that ultimately God wanted to create. That's why there's this sorcerer that comes up to to Peter and Acts and is like, listen, I I want that gift that you have. Let me buy this from you so I can give people the gift of the Holy Spirit because a lot of what they were doing was trying to give people these gifts, these holy experiences that were replacing what God wanted to do through the Holy Spirit in their life. And ultimately, I've heard it said this way, really... What this is talking about is any time in our life that we try to manipulate matter to try to create experience that God wants to give us. I mean, drug use would go into that. There's a lot of other things that would go into that. But ultimately, any time that we try to manipulate the things in our life to give us that something that God wants to give us to replace him with the things that we've created in this world. The next one it talks about is enmity and strife, fractured relationships, the flesh making us at odds with each other. We have jealousy. I'm going to put those three together. Enmity, strife, jealousy. I, I, I think we all know what that looks like. Fractured relationships with each other, jealousy of one another, strife with each other, inner fighting. But I, I just say this. Something I always look for in my life, one of the biggest barometers in my life of if I'm walking by the Spirit or I'm walking by my flesh is how are my relationships with other people? Even more importantly, how are my relationships with other people that love Jesus? Because after a while, if I have enough people in my life who love Jesus and worship him that I'm having issues with, of course, we all start off with, well, I'm I'm actually following Jesus, right? They're all just messed up. But eventually there's a point where you've got to ask yourself, why is there so much strife and infighting? Paul's talking to the church here when he says, you're going to bite and devour each other. 
because he knows that they have these fights that are going on because the, the devil desperately wants to get into the church and creates fighting and he wants to make you and me not like each other and then you and me got to get mad at this person so we go over here and we talk about them and go, yeah, aren't they just terrible, horrible people? That's what the devil desperately wants. His best thing to do is to get into the church through gossip, through slander, through enmity, through strife, through jealousy. He also talks here about fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. It's always important to look at our life and see how are my relationships with others? How is my relationship with my family? How am I treating other people? Because if I'm walking by the Spirit, there's going to be difference between me and the rest of the world. I, I love this statement that's been said before that if you were on trial for being a follower of Jesus and the, the prosecution's key witnesses were only the people that were closest to you, your close friends, your family, your neighbors, would you be convicted? Because ultimately, how we treat other people, how we are in relationship with other people, says a lot about whether or not we're actually following Jesus. He finally ends off with drunkenness, which I think can go for any intemperance, any throwing caution to the wind. It's any time that we're saying, listen, I'm I'm not going to think, I'm just going to throw caution to the wind. I'm going to go for it. Orgies are pretty self-explanatory, but ultimately it's the moment of intemperance, the moment of just throwing caution to the wind, giving in to our desires, doing whatever we want. And and maybe as you read through those, you're like, man, maybe I got a couple areas to work on. I'm going to start, I'm going to try to stop sorcering this week. But other than that, I think I'm doing pretty good. But what I I, I find interesting is that he says, I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The the fact is, Paul's not talking about a a one-time thing or a one-time slip here and there. He says, those who live like this, he's talking about this repeated pattern. And unfortunately, in our world, what often happens is the devil's first move in our life is that moment where we go, yeah, I think I'm doing pretty good. Paul even says that, be careful that if you think you're standing firm, that you don't fall. Because the Bible says pride comes before a fall. The moment where we think, oh yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, it's just a little bit of this. Uh, otherwise, I'm doing pretty good. I'm not going to work on that. You know, it's, uh, I'm like 95% better than you know, this person over here. I love what it says in James 1.15 that after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. I think that also fits into what Paul is talking about here, that it's this gradual creep moving closer or further from God. The fact is, in our life, we are never holding still in any moment. We're either walking by the Spirit and drawing closer to God, or we're walking by our flesh and we're drawing away from Him. There's no point in time when I get to put down my anchor and just sit. It doesn't happen. Even when I think it does, I'm always drifting one way or another. I love how C.S. Lewis says it. He's talking about this fact that we all have the capacity for heaven or walking with Jesus or the capacity for hell in our lives. And he writes in the book, The Great Divorce, that hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others, but you're still distinct from it. You may even criticize it in yourself and wish you could stop, but there may come a day when you can no longer. Then there will be no you left to criticize the mood or even to enjoy it, but just the grumble itself going on forever like a machine. In each of us, there is something that is growing. 
which will either be hell or which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. Every time you make a choice, you're changing the central part of who you are one way or another. There's a song that has always struck me by casting crowns called Slow Fade. I don't know if any of you ever heard that. Maybe you give that a listen this week. It's one of my favorite songs because it's talking about this fact that it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. They say people never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. Talking about these slow moments, talking about the fact that the affair never comes out right away. No one wakes up and goes, you know, I think I'm going to cheat on my wife today. But it starts over here with the gradual movement here and here and here. No one ever says, you know, I'm, I'm going to be addicted. I'm going to be addicted to pornography. I'm going to be addicted to drugs. I'm, I'm just going to go out. I'm going to be addicted to gambling. I'm going to bet the entire house, lose everything, make everyone around me absolutely miserable. No one ever thinks that. But it starts with one thing after another, after another, after another. See, we live in a world that says, if it feels good, that it must be good. But what Paul is saying here is that there is a way, what, what is said earlier in the Bible, that there is a way that seems good to a man that leads to death. We all have a choice in our life. Are we moving towards life or are we moving towards death? Now for the good news. In verse 22, Paul writes, but, that's a big but there. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. See, what Paul is talking about here is the difference between these things that my flesh crave and what my spirit craves. Have you ever been around somebody who has everything their flesh could desire? Have you ever heard someone who, who is, is as all the houses they need, all the cars that they need, they have everything they need. What I have found, I had the opportunity of being around a lot of people like this. And oftentimes then what they're focused on is things like relationship, having more love in their life, more joy in their life, more peace in their life, more forgiveness in their life. Because there's a point in time where we've reached everything. Even, even Solomon talks about this in Ecclesiastes when he gets everything he possibly can and he has this great emo rock band moment and goes, everything is meaningless. Nothing matters. Because he'd gotten everything and it still didn't fill him up. What Paul is talking about here is those things that will fill up our soul, those things our soul longs for. And what he's talking about here, there's a key word that we often miss. It's the word fruit. Not works, fruit. I've said this many times, but I'll keep saying it again because I think it's so important for us to understand that the fruits of the Spirit is not a checklist for your life. It is not a to-do list for you. It's not something that you look here and go, okay, great. Let me take a look at this. All right. So this week I'm going to work on love. Next week we're going to work on joy. Uh, we'll take two weeks for peace because i got a lot going on in my life. Uh, I'll try to be kinder. I can take half a week. No, this isn't a, t- a checklist in our life of things. Okay, I'm going to work on this. I'm going to produce this fruit. If I just go home and I just squeeze myself, maybe I can get some fruit. Just, that doesn't work. 
that will never work. The Bible says it is the fruit of the Spirit. The only thing that I can do to get more of those things in my life is to get on my knees and surrender, saying, Holy Spirit, if there's anything in me that doesn't look like the fruit that you say you'll give, will you please show me? Will you please convict me? Will you please help me to look more and more like you? Will you please take over? If there's anything in my life that's stopping me from living and being filled by you, will you please show that to me? That's the only way I will ever have fruit in my life is by my own surrender and nothing else. See, in Galatians 5.18, Paul writes, if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What Paul is talking about here is this fact that as we step into a relationship with the Holy Spirit and I'm under Him, if I'm led by the Spirit, these things are going to come out of me. In fact, there's a lot of stuff that looks like the law is going to come out of me. There's going to be a lot of things that I say no to that people might say, well, are you still under the law? No, I'm not under the law. I'm just led by the Spirit. There's a huge difference. See, when we try to make fruit happen in our life, we go back to the two ditches of legalism and license. If I try to create fruit in my life, if I try to create fruit by my own flesh, what I'm going to create is legalism. You know, our, our church is a Wesleyan church, in case you don't know that. And if you have any questions about what that is, I'd love to talk to you sometime. But ultimately, the Wesleyan church comes from kind of the Methodist holiness tradition. And the holiness tradition is amazing. Because where it started was someone said, listen, Jesus said, be holy as I am holy. And I feel like a lot of us aren't looking like that. How do we start looking like that? It started with people going, listen, we, we see that the Holy Spirit is supposed to give us these things. We don't think we're living like that. So, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you help us? We want to look more and more like Jesus. It's an amazing tradition that has had some amazing things in it. But unfortunately, there was a period, and it's starting to shift, but there was a period of time where it... it a lot of people, when they think holiness tradition, holiness churches, maybe you think about you know maybe some hair coverings, plain dresses, maybe you think about a whole list of rules. Unfortunately, there were some times where people had gotten to a place where holiness became, okay, you know what, this person looks pretty holy, so let's take everything they do in their life and make that the to-do list. So, okay, they don't drink. All right, none of you drink. All right, do you smoke? Okay, none of you smoke. All right, they, I mean, they, you go, do you, go to movies? you don't go to movies? Okay, no movies. And it gets to a place where we have this checklist the problem is, whenever we try to make fruit happen by our own rules and legalism, we end up having slavery in our life. The fact is, if holiness is a moral standard that we're trying to achieve, then that will always end in slavery. If holiness is a moral standard that we're trying to achieve, it will always end in slavery. If holiness is a person, the person of Jesus Christ, that we're following and walking a relationship in and trying to be more like and being led by, then that is what's going to lead to freedom. Holiness is a moral standard will always end in bondage. But serving the person of Jesus, being led by the person of the Holy Spirit, will lead to freedom and life and life to the full. I want to end with this final point that I see in this passage. At the end of the passage, I think we see that our flesh will end 
at the cross. Verse 24, he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. See, our life in step with the Spirit begins when our life in service to our flesh ends. The cross sets us free from the flesh and gives us life in the Spirit. It comes down to a simple choice. Am I going to live by my flesh or will I surrender to the Spirit? Will I kill anything in my life that doesn't look like Jesus? Or am I going to live by my flesh and what I think is right? There's a moment in Joshua where the question is asked to choose this day whom you are going to serve. And he writes, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the kind of question I think that Paul is asking here. Are we going to live by the spirit or are we going to live by our own flesh, our own ideas, our own rules? As I read this pad, this, that last sentence, let us keep in step with the spirit. I, I kind of think about my son. This past week, he gets up, middle of the night, about 1 or 2 in the morning. He gets up to come to our room. And so he comes in, and I get up, and I take his hand to kind of lead him back to his room. And, and at first, my son's reaction was this, to, be, to being led by his father. He looks kind of like this. He's like behind me. Like, no! And then all of a sudden, he gets an idea. He goes, fine! If you're going to drag me... I guess then I want to be in charge. So all of a sudden, he decides, no, I'm going to lead now. So he takes off. Mind you, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. He's half tired. I'm half tired. He goes taking off towards his room in the dark and slams into the door that he had shut when he left the room. So all of a sudden, he just takes off and goes, bam! And, and my wife had just stained the door. And so it was a little bit darker. And so he just thought, I guess he just thought, man, that's, that's the darkness of my room. And then the darkness punched him in the face. I, I, I love that moment. Not that I love him being hurt, but that moment stuck with me because I think about me and how I'm led by the Spirit. The Bible says to walk in step with the Spirit. But all of a sudden I, I look at my life and sometimes my life by being led by the Spirit looks more like this. Like, okay, fine, I'll be more loving. Fine, I won't say that. I'm kind of getting dragged along. Or sometimes it's me going, okay, I got this. All right, I'll go. Bam. And I ran into a door. Sometimes it's me trying to run ahead and do my own thing, which always ends just like my son's journey ended. Or it's me being dragged when, in fact, what Paul is talking about here, he says, walking in step with the Spirit. He's talking about walking in rhythm, walking in the same beat. If you think, when Paul was writing this, may think he was talking about the same way that the soldiers of the Roman Empire that day would walk and they would march and they'd be in step to a drum beat. One, two, one, two. You know, one of my uh, first, actually my first Valentine's Day with my wife, who I was dating at the time, we kind of had our first big fight. And we had only been dating for like a month or two. This is our first time really disagreeing with each other. Because we go out for Valentine's Day, and I decide, because my wife loves dancing. She did dancing all throughout high school. She actually did ballet and all kinds of amazing, amazing things. I said, let's take her dancing. She likes dancing. Let's go dancing. 
So we go to this little, you know, two-step dance deal. They have like a live band and everything. And I think my vision for the night is that we are going to just be staring lovingly into each other's eyes, saying sweet nothings to each other. And my wife's vision for the evening was that we would dance on beat. And I don't know if you can tell, but those two visions came into conflict with each other because I'm trying to have this romantic moment with my girlfriend at the time and staring into her eyes, and my wife is just looking up at me going, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Finally, I'm like, stop! But what that reminds me of is the fact that just like in dancing, walking by the Holy Spirit has a beat in a rhythm to it. And sometimes we just want to do our own thing. But walking by the Spirit means listening for that rhythm that He puts in your life. Because as the Holy Spirit works, He will work in a rhythm. The rhythm of your daily quiet time. The rhythm of your drive to work where you talk to Him. The rhythm of starting to see people the way that Jesus has called you to see them. Starting to treat people the way that Jesus would treat them. Starting to have the fruit of the Spirit coming out of you. Because what I have found in my life is as I walk more and more by Him, there's this rhythm that comes in my life to where all of a sudden I'm just like going to the beat of the Spirit and suddenly the thing that was making me angry isn't making me angry anymore. The comment that was going to come out of my mouth doesn't come out. The, The money that would have stayed in my pocket suddenly comes out and I give it and I bless somebody. It just becomes a rhythm that we listen to in our life. And in a world that is so obsessed with marching to the beat of our own drum, what Paul is talking about here is the idea of putting down our drum and listening for the beat of the Holy Spirit, listening for the beat that he has called us to live. Pastor Christian did a masterful message here a while back about listening to the Holy Spirit. If you missed that one, I encourage you to go listen to it. I think that's one of the most important things in our life is that all throughout our life we're spending time listening, whether we're reading God's word, we're praying, whether we're fellowshipping with one another, just listening for the pull and the tug and the beat and the rhythm of the Spirit. See, for so many people, we believe that the invitation of Christianity is to find ourselves, to make ourselves a little bit better or to look a little bit different. But the fact is, Jesus never called for that. In fact, the invitation of Christianity is not to find ourselves, but to die to ourself. And the only way we do that is if we are daily crucifying our flesh and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us, guide us, and make us look more and more like Him. What I have found in my life is that so many Christians are convinced that they can follow Jesus and still listen to the beat of their own drum. That somehow there's this idea of therapeutic... Moral deism. This idea that, man, I, I, I like to go to church because it makes me feel good and makes me a little bit better person. But it's not actually being a follower of Jesus. If all I'm doing is try to look a little bit better, Jesus never said, come and give a little bit. Jesus isn't a blood bank. He's, he, he's a morgue. He says, come and die. Come and kill your flesh. Don't come and give me just a little bit. But so many of us are convinced that we can follow Jesus listening to our own beat. And the fact is, we can't. It's only by listening to the Holy Spirit and allowing him to invade and take over everything in our life. And that can be a hard journey, but it starts with the first step of surrendering everything. Surrendering those things that maybe we've been holding on to for a little bit. And giving everything day by day, just giving more and more as the Holy Spirit prompts us, convicts us, and draws us closer and closer to him.
If you bow your heads with me, I want to pray for you today. Father, I am so blessed just to be here this morning. God, I believe that each and every person that's here today has a call on their life from you. Whether it's a call to go or a call to grow in an area, we all have something that you're calling us to. And today, God, I pray that you would make it so loud and clear to everyone who's sitting here what their next step is. I pray that anyone today that's just desiring to have more of you, to truly be filled by your spirit and be led, God, I pray that something amazing would happen for them, that you would just overwhelm them and overcome them, and they would see some just their world different, that their eyes would be open. God, I just pray over every person that's here that your Holy Spirit would fall in a mighty, mighty way. That God, anything in us that doesn't look like you, that looks like we're following our flesh instead of following you, would you convict us and break us of that? Because God, we don't want to just be happy in a moment. We want to be with you in eternity. God, would you write eternity on our eyelids that every single day we look out and we see not just the world, but we see the world that's one day going to meet you. God, would you break our hearts for those who don't know you? Would you break our hearts for what breaks yours and make us look more and more like you each and every day? In your precious and holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, church, we're going to continue to worship together. This is a moment to respond. If, man, there's something that God's really putting on your heart, maybe there's something on the card that's in front of you you want to write down, maybe a prayer request or a way that we can walk alongside you. We're also going to have people at either cross that would love to pray for you if we can pray for you in any area today. We love you, church. Let's continue worshiping our amazing God. Amen.